I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I'm moving around a little slow today, I, I, like George Washington, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree in my front yard yesterday, and I'm a little sore, kind of overdid it. So if I look like I'm a little robotic up here, like I'm not moving very well, it's because uh, my eyes were bigger than my muscles. <laughs> and so I thought I could handle more than I could. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, uh, we've been working our way through the Beatitudes, and today we come to verse 6, where Jesus says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me ask you this as we get started this morning. Have you ever had a time, a day, a situation where you were really hungry? I'm talking about genuinely hungry or thirsty. Bart's laughing up here. Bart's on this new diet plan, and all he gets to eat is his little bags of snacks all day. And he's been a little hangry a couple times this week. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you no, know, I'm not talking about just a little growl in your belly. I'm not talking about just like this little hankering for something to drink. I'm talking about an instance where you really genuinely were at the point where you would die if you did not have something to eat. Now, in, in today's day and age where we have fast food places on every corner and grocery stores everywhere and commercial farming and snacks and pantries full of all kinds of goodies in our homes, I don't know that we really have that kind of experience uh, that Jesus was speaking of here. In Jesus' day, there was a genuine risk of starvation. There was a genuine risk that one season, one bad season, one drought could come through and wipe out an entire crop and entire villages could sit praying that they would have one meal, knowing that they could very well starve. And so here Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And I believe that here he's talking about more than just a hankering for a snack or a desire for some sweet tea. He is referring to a hunger and thirst that these people in Jesus' day would understand. One that seemed like it would be life or death. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. But even then, that hunger and thirst needed to be directed toward the right thing. Just think about this. When you're hungry, what's your go-to snack? What's that thing that you get hungry for? You know, there's certain things in my life that I just do not get hungry for at all. Uh, thanks to an incident when I was on a mission trip, and, and, and I think it was 2002, I will never get hungry for Vienna sausages. It will never happen. Uh, it would never, never happen. But, you know, when I get hungry, there's certain things that I always go to. I've I'm, I'm always got this salty thing where I want to go get some Cheez-Its. Or maybe sometimes it's I want something sweet, and I'm going to go in the pantry, and I'm looking for some Oreos. I'm looking for, for some, some cho chocolate chip cookies, and Bart's getting mad at me. He's talking about this right now. <laughs> but, you know, do you ever have, like, a craving for something really weird? I read this week that they're actually up in, in New Jersey, and there's a place that's making ham-flavored ice cream now. Does anybody, say, does that sound like it would be, Bart, do you think that would be appetizing to you right now? No? About 1230. And then I also read a while back that in Scotland, there's a place that makes mayonnaise-flavored ice cream. That sounds awful. I know exactly what happened. There was an American that went to Scotland on vacation, and they said, mayonnaise not enough ice cream over here. And they said, we need to make mayonnaise ice cream. But point being is this, you know, despite all that, sometimes when we get hungry, we, we naturally go to snacks. Now, I know that I need to go get fruit. I know I need to go get healthy things, things that really will fill me up. But oftentimes, my belly doesn't want that. My belly wants junk. My belly wants junk food. 
sweets and snacks. And I don't go to the right things. You know, it's not just our bellies that can get set on the wrong things. It's our hearts as well. You know, it seems like, I really do believe that within every single person, there is this sense of emptiness, this sense of of a lost purpose that I think goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 at the garden. You remember how in the garden, um, Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out. And I think there is this, this understanding, this knowledge within every single purpose, purpose, person that, there is a, there's, that we were made for something more than this sin-cursed existence, that there is something missing. And yet in, in our lostness and in our wandering, we will try to fill that God-shaped vacuum, as Billy Graham called it, with just about anything and everything except for God. Happiness, success, money, possessions, promotions, relationships. But, but like square pegs trying to fit into a round hole, they come up empty. That never truly satisfies, never really fits the bill, never really gives that lasting fulfillment. But then Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Did you notice that Jesus said what we ought to be after is righteousness? You know, the Bible never tells us that we should hunger for blessing. The Bible never tells us we should hunger for happiness. Or any other form of fulfillment, really. But that we should hunger for righteousness. You see, people stumble around this, this life uh, trying to find anything and everything that would make them happy. But Scripture never tells us to pursue happiness. It tells us to pursue righteousness. We can find verses in Scripture that talk about the pursuit of joy, but this pursuit of joy is always in Scripture tied to the pursuit of God. I think about Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, where it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In fact, if we spend our energy in pursuit of happiness, in pursuit of things that will bring us happiness here only, I believe really we're treating the symptom instead of the disease. We're treating the pain instead of the problem. You know, it's like we know there's a void. We know that something is missing. And so we go from one thing to another to another to another trying to find something that's happy. And it's like slapping a Band-Aid on a wound but never really treating the wound. And then when that wears off, we just slap something else on it. And so if all you want to do is cover up the pain, keep chasing happiness. But if you want to cure the disease, then look to Jesus, the one who gives us lasting joy. And so let's think about what does it mean for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I believe that it's a driving sense that you need God. A driving sense that you need and want His righteousness. And an unquenchable desire to do whatever it takes to get it. You can't rest until you find it. You don't give up until you have it. And when we come to Scripture, um, in the Bible, there seems to be three different ways that the word righteousness is used. And I think all three of these apply here. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a legal sense, there's a moral righteousness, and there's a social righteousness. And what I mean by that is, is when we say legal righteousness, I'm talking about justification. And when we say moral righteousness, I'm talking about conduct that is pleasing to God. Con, you know, righteousness of character. 
And when we talk about social righteousness, I mean the righteousness of a community, the holiness and righteousness of the nation of Israel, for instance, or of the church as a whole, a desire to see the world come to worship God and to please Him. And so how do we pursue that? How do we get there? I believe, number one, what's it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It means pursuing a relationship with Christ. That hunger and that thirst for righteousness begins with the relationship with Jesus, the one who is righteous. By placing our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, um, to, to save us from the consequence of sin, and to give us eternal life. And when we do that, the Bible says that we are then justified. Now, where justification is a legal term that refers to um, our standing before God, that we are justified. It is just as if I'd never sinned. And what takes place in that moment is that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, is given to us, so that when the Lord sees us, he doesn't see my sin. He instead sees Christ's righteousness. We receive that when we begin a relationship with him. First time I know of in scripture where that shows up is all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, in the life of Abraham. You might remember that Abraham was an old man who had no children. And the Lord appeared to him and said, look, if you will follow me, if you will trust me, I will give you more descendants than the stars of the sky. And Abraham responded with faith. And it says in Genesis 15, 6, that he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't earn that righteousness. It was not based on his conduct, simply based on his faith. He placed his faith and trust alone in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now over in Romans chapter 4, Paul speaks about that moment in Abraham's life, and he connects it to us. In Romans 4, verse 23, it says, But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it is counted to us as righteousness. And we receive the righteousness of the Lord. And so it begins there. That hunger and thirst for righteousness begins with a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. A desire to turn to the only one who can quench the needs of our soul. Jesus. But also I believe it goes beyond that. You see, uh, I think that that hunger and that thirst for righteousness ought to drive us to want to pursue a relationship with Jesus. You see, I, I don't think it involves, I think this involves more than simply a pr praying a prayer of salvation. Um, it involves a desire to have a daily walk with Christ, to pursue him on a daily basis. You see, if you, are, if you call yourself a Christian, and you have no desire to pursue your relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, I'd be concerned. I would genuinely be concerned. 
If you claim the name Christian and say, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I have no desire to pursue that relationship. I have no desire to worship him. I have no desire to be in the word. I'd be concerned. Because what kind of relationship is that? This past week, we had a little incident in our house. One of our boys came home. Caleb came home from school, and he'd gotten in trouble a couple times at school that day. And uh, uh, so he got like a yes on his conduct. And so I went in his room, and we were talking about it. And I said, son, what, what happened? What, what did you get in trouble for? And he told me. He said, well, I got in trouble with this, this, and this one thing. And then he said, I, I poked this girl. And I said, what do you mean you poked this girl? He said, yeah, I poked her. That's what she said. And I said, well, what, what did you do? He said, he said, well, I was trying to ask her a question. And so I said, so what kind of question were you trying to ask her, son? If she'd be my girlfriend. <laughs> and I'm like, so I, 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 I kind of started laughing. I shouldn't have started laughing, but I did. And, um, and I said, son, you don't need a, a girlfriend in the first grade. What are you doing? And, uh, and he named some other kid. He said, we'll just say her name was Hannah. I can't remember her name. Well, Hannah's got a boyfriend. And I said, well, what does Hannah do with her boyfriend? And he said, well, she chases him around the playground all the time. And so I, so I said, well, son, I said, girls are more trouble than they're worth. Man, you just need to get away from them, you know? And, and don't be doing that. And he said, well, Dad, I just asked her if she'd be my girlfriend. And I said, uh, I said well, son, what do, you, what do you do with a girlfriend? And he said, well, you just play with them. I said, you ain't doing no kissing, are you? And he said, no, Dad, no, I don't do no kissing. And I said, you ain't doing no hugging, are you? And he cut me this look, and he said, I do some hugging, Dad. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I started, I laughed, and I, he got so mad at me. <laughs> he was crying. He was so mad at me, but I felt so bad. But I got to thinking, after he told me that, I got to thinking back to whenever Kim and I first started dating. It didn't take long for me to fall head over heels in love. And we were not in the first grade, by the way. <laughs> but it didn't take long for me just to become smitten by her and for me to want more and more to be with her to, to want to do things with her to want to pursue that relationship I wanted to talk to her I wanted to, to go places with her I wanted to buy her gifts I wanted to serve her and, and that desire only grew more and more and it's grown more and more through the years and why is that? because that's what it means to being a healthy growing relationship, isn't it? Uh, that desire to, to know each other closer, that, to have a greater intimacy. And that ought to be the same with our walk with Christ. A genuine relationship with Christ will, ought to result in a, in a greater intimacy day by day. A closer walk day by day. That stronger desire to want to hear from the Lord every day. To know His will and we ought to want to do anything we can to get there. I read a story recently in the news about this little boy that had gone to a restaurant with his, kid, with his parents. And this was not one of my children, by the way. Um, and at the restaurant, they had one of those little, like, claw machines where you get the animals, you know. You know, those things are like a scam. I mean, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's going to drop out of the claw right before it gets to the hole, you know. Always works that way, but you, know, you get suckered into those things, and it's like playing the casino. You know, you just keep putting money in there thinking, I'm going to win it this time. Well, this kid saw this stuffed animal that he just had to have. And so he saw an opening, and he took it. And this is what happened. We got a picture of it. He wound up inside the machine, 
he saw that little opening. You see in the bottom right of that picture, he saw that little opening, and he figured out how to get himself into the machine, but what he didn't realize is well, he wouldn't be able to get himself out of that machine. And so, of course, they called the fire department. They got him out. Um, you know, but here was this child who said, I have to have it. And he would do whatever he had to do to get there. You know, see, a Christian who is genuinely hungry and thirsty for Christ's righteousness will do the same. To say, I don't care what I have to do, I'm going to get there. Uh, there ought to be a desire to get into his word. To push aside other things in our lives so that we can be in prayer. So that we can pursue that closer walk. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness begins there, but I think it continues with number two, practicing the commands of Christ. You see, as we're growing in that daily relationship, as we're walking with him, as we're coming to understand who Christ is more and more, I believe at the same time what ought to be growing within us is a desire, a hunger to live by the word, to imitate the life of Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 says it like this. It says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That those who believe in Jesus, those who follow Jesus, will want to walk in Christ's footsteps, to imitate his life and to follow his lead. Over in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we studied this last week in Sunday school. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so in coming to Christ, I died. And it's not Christ, I mean, it's not me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives through me. And because of that exchange, I believe there ought to be two things that take place. We ought to have a desire to run far away from sin and to run toward righteousness. To get as far as we can from that which is sin and as close as we can to that which is holy, which is right, which is just, which is godly. Uh, and so I ought to want to do whatever I need to do to get away from that Sinfulness. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes it like this. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We don't have to live in sin any longer. We've been set free from the bonds of sin. And I don't want to go to, into chains Again, except to Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks to God, thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, I have become slaves of righteousness. That we've turned in those chains that held us to sin. We've cast those aside, and in our hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have become slaves to Jesus, wanting to follow him wherever he would go, wanting to, to go wherever we could. But it, what that requires, 
breaking the bond of sin in our lives. I heard another story in the news. This, week, this was a good week for stories in the news for me. Back in June of this year, there was a lady named Dee Dee Phillips who lived in North Georgia. Uh, she lived in a house that was near some soybean fields. And she came out of her house one day, and she was attacked by a rabid bobcat. thing came straight at her. And in the news story, this was her, her, her word. She said, my first thought was not today. I wasn't dying today. You know what that woman did? She wrestled that bobcat to the ground and strangled it with her bare hands. John Owen once said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And just like that grandma who was bent on killing that bobcat because she knew it would kill her, we as believers must hunger and thirst for righteousness to the point where we say, I'm going to kill sin in my life. I'm going to run away from temptation. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this out of my life because I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to be in chains again. Now, we don't do that for some legalistic drive thinking we're going to earn our salvation because of that. No, but because we don't want to be in chain to sin anymore. We want to be set free from it. We're sick and tired of fighting that fight, and I want to walk with Jesus more faithfully. That's hungering and thirsting. And we don't just do that because we want to get away ourselves, but because we don't want to lead others there either. What I found really interesting was, you know what motivated that grandma? Her grandchild who was sleeping in the house. And she was afraid that if she made any noise or if she screamed for help, that grandchild would wake up and would become the next victim. And so she fought that bobcat to death. It's a reminder that as we walk with Jesus... And as we get away from sin, we are leading the next generation. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said this. He said, verse 6, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so we hunger and thirst for righteousness so that we would be closer to Christ in obedience to His commands, and so that those who follow after us would walk in faithfulness as well. And then lastly, I believe we hunger and thirst for righteousness by promoting the kingdom of Christ in this world. Now, for some throughout history, that desire for holiness and righteousness has driven them into isolation. You can read throughout church history of the many, many men and women who felt like that was the thing to do, to isolate themselves, to go out in the desert and wilderness and live by themselves because they think that's the path to holiness. But I believe that could be, couldn't be farther from the truth of what Christ intended. And so I believe that we as Christians hunger and thirst for righteousness so that the world might come to know Jesus. That we ought to have a desire to, to show the world Christ. For, for the world to come to know Christ in salvation. For the world to come to live by His ways. 
It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said, The command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into a desert, but to run out, if that is where you have been, and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body, and to wager everything you have and can do, to lead others to hunger and thirst. Matthew chapter 5, look down in verse 13. I'm not going to get too much into this because we're going to preach on this in a few weeks, but just, just hear what Jesus had to say. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I believe he's talking about our influence as Christians in this world, that we ought to be like salt, that which flavors this world, that's which preserves this world. A Christian who has no influence in the world around it, that person, is a Christian who is like salt without taste. Useless, Christ says. There's a man by the name of Chris Hertz. He's the head of a ministry called Word Made Flesh. and It's a ministry toward like poor people in third world countries. And on this one particular trip... He traveled to a country called Calcutta. And um, he and his companions were, were walking down a street one day, and they came across um, this very sick individual. All they saw was this body underneath this blanket, and it was shuddering. And there was bodily fluids trailing behind it. The blanket had flies all over it. it obviously, this person looked like they were at the point of death. And so one of, this, one of Chris's companions kind of nudged the body to try to figure out, okay, is this person alive, awake, what is going on? And, and he, they saw movement. And so they pulled the blanket back to find this young 20-year-old man who was just awful looking. He began to cry. His body was just skin and bones. His eyes were bulging from his sunken face. His skin was leathery. And, and, and they knew immediately this man is at the brink of death. And so this group of, of people, began, they sprung into action. They began to clean him up, clean him up to try to find him help. They, began to, they, they hailed a cab, put him in a cab, and got, got him on the way to the hospital. It was an awful scene, tragic scene, because here was this man who just moments later likely was going to slip into eternity. But as they were doing all this, they happened to look up, and that man the entire time had been laying right in front of the gates of a church. And there was a sign right there below that church that said, All are welcome here. However, those gates had remained locked. And the people of that church had stood within those gates watching all this go on and refused to open the gates to that poor soul. You see, that church hadn't lived up to its sign. It said, All are welcome here. It called itself a church, but yet it refused to live like the church and to act like the church. And as Christians, we better make sure that we always live up to our sign. That we call ourselves little Christs, Christians. That we call ourselves the body of Christ. You see, our hunger and thirst for righteousness can't stop with us. Instead, we have a calling to whet the appetite of those around us, giving them a desire for Jesus. Matthew 5, 14 said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That hunger and thirst for righteousness ought to give us a desire to bring others to Jesus. I'll close with this question. You know, there's an old saying, you are what you eat. Probably heard that before. But I'd like for you to think about it in this way. Who are you becoming? Honestly, who are you becoming? I think if we stop and we think about who we are becoming, it'll answer, what are we hungry for? Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, I pray that every person in this room has a hunger and a thirst for a relationship with you. God, I ask that if there be one in this room who has never experienced that, who has never received salvation by grace through faith in you, that today would be that day that you would help them to understand that that hunger that they have within them can only be fulfilled through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would give them the boldness, the courage, the faith to step out today and to come down this aisle at the invitation and so they can know what it means to put their faith and trust in Jesus and to receive the eternal life that only He can give. And Father, I pray for us as a church that we would be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because your word says that only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. God, may we only be satisfied in you. May we not be fooled by the devil into thinking that satisfaction and happiness come through worldly ways. But God, we would see that they come through a relationship with you. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. If you stand as we sing the song of invitation.